as the music, and I mention this a lot lately because it's something that I've been, I've been practicing and trying to, to get the best that I can possibly be at, and it's not easy trying to learn something new, especially to play a musical instrument, and, and to be able to, <laughs> that, especially when you don't have singing abilities. Thanks. Um, but I met with a friend of mine here in the church Monday, and we were playing together. He was playing guitar, and I was playing the keyboard because we're practicing for our fifth Sunday worship next month where we're going to have, have it live and we're going to have live singing. Uh, I'm excited about it. But I learned something Monday that uh, I never knew about playing music. kind of relates to our relationship and how that we are an instrument of the Lord that, that is to, to put off and produce a specific sound in the earth. Um, when I was playing in the key of C, and we was, trying to, we was trying to put a particular group of songs together, he was playing in the key, in the key of C, but didn't sound the same. I'm sorry, G. He was playing in G, but it didn't, it didn't blend together. Over a stanza or two, it's like, man, the words and things, I can hear mine, he can hear his, but it just wasn't coming together. We're trying to figure out, neither one of us know how to tune an instrument together. You know, it, this is something new for, for both of us, and we're wanting to do it for the Lord and to be able to bless God's people. And here we can't get I'm trying to call a couple people that I know that knows all about music, might be able to tell me, I can't get a hold of them because it's a holiday. So I get to messing around my keyboard, looking, looking some things up, and I found that my keyboard has a, a switch on it called transpose. And what transpose means is to cause two or more things to change places with each other. And what you can literally do on my keyboard is I can play in whatever key that I'm used to playing in. And I can go up or down on my transpose. I can be playing in the key of C go down one notch and I'm actually playing in the key of B or go down two notches it just goes down the board and what you do is you you play you play a specific string on the guitar that is supposed to match mine and I hit it and if it don't sound right I transpose my board so I'm playing the same key but then the tune starts to match and the reason why I do that is because the instrument that he was playing didn't have the ability to go up or down on the scale. Okay? The only one that had the ability to change was the instrument that I was playing. Okay? And the Lord spoke as plain as, as day to me. He's like, Jeremiah, this is what I've called you to. To be a man that can transpose with your brothers and sisters. A man that can cause two or more things to change places with each other for the sake of giving me the glory. And I've been in Philippians chapter 2, and I know that we just read this as part of our, our purpose in life and for our church, for our, our ministry. In Philippians chapter 2, I want to give you a couple examples out of the Word of God of what transpose looks like in the life of the believer. 
And it's, it, when you first read this or when you first start looking into this, it almost seems it's kind of can be abrasive. And, and if, if we're not careful, we can let our mind go to a place to where we think, well, what's he trying to tell me that I need to do to change key to, to match the sound of those around me? But what if the sound coming from the people around me is not of righteousness? I want to clarify this before we even get get any further into the message, is we're not called to match the sound of sin. We're not called to change our tune to match the tune of others that's living in unrighteousness. And we're going to look at that. That's in, that's in Romans 7, 13. You ain't got to turn there, but I'm going to read this to you for the sake of those who might be listening in. It says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Now Paul, we come into Philippians chapter 2, Paul's dealing with a new church. Paul's dealing with the church Philippi that they're kind of just all over the place. There's, there's a lot of things that's, that's happening in this community uh, that Paul don't agree with. There's a lot of things that's happening in amongst people that he's close to that he may not agree with. And he starts off chapter 2 with something encouraging for this group of people with, followed up with a bit of instruction inspired by the Holy Spirit of how they can overcome and to overcome to where they can have influence and an impact on their society in the day that they were in. Some things we can surface from this, I believe we can apply in our own life and in our own church, so we can be men and women that have an impact and that have the potency inside of us that, that has the ability right, to be able to minister to the times with effect. He says, starting in verse 1, he says, Is there any encouragement, and I'm reading out of the NLT this morning, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Okay. These people have come into such a place of despair, and, and they're seeing a lot of things happening around them, and you can tell there's, there's a set of, dis, of despair that's kind of set in in their service, and he's addressing this full force right off the beginning. He's like, I... I, for one, know where you're at and what you're feeling. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and pose the question that's in your mind that you're just not telling me. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? My gosh, we do the best we can. We go through in the world. We're trying to preach the gospel message, and it just seems like everything just attacks us. It just seems like it's, it's one blow after another. Even in the church, there's turmoil. And they're like, is there anything worth living this life for on this side of eternity? Or is it all going to be when the heavens open up and the Lord comes down and takes us into our heavenly home and we're walking the streets of gold? And you know, this is kind of going through the thoughts of, of the people. And, and in this mindset, in this particular attitude, because what I want you to look at is Paul's dealing with an attitude before he deals with an action. See, he's dealing with a thought 
before he's dealing with the actual event that's taken place. Thoughts, words, right, produce action. Action produces a habit. Right? We form habits out of actions. And habits is what forms lifestyles. So when we're looking at this, he's, he's actually addressing something that they are about to walk into before it happens. He says, I'm trying to cut this off now so it don't become a lifestyle of the body of Christ in your worship. He says, I know the discouragement here. You already think, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And he says, is there any comfort from His love? Is there any is there any way that I can be encouraged in this life and the position that I am in the love of God? Oh, I'm doing the best that I can, but God just don't beam this supernatural love down into me. I, I wonder, what, what am I even doing? And he says, and, and another thing, is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? He's like, they're looking around and they're doing these things on individual basis and, and they're... And they're they're putting, they're going out with the gospel, with the Great Commission, to the best that they know how, and they, they find themselves they're getting whipped right now. They're 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 getting whipped. They're getting defeated. Oh, the effect that they're seeing must not have been what they were desiring to see. And Paul says, he says, I know all of these things. He, he's he's writing from a jail cell. He knows affliction and he knows pain. Who better to be able to write this epistle than, than Paul himself that knows what it means to be in despair and to be discouraged. Even though Paul didn't stay in that place, he he done more encouraging from that place of bondage than what most people do their whole life, even in a place where they're in the place of blessing, myself included, as a man appointed by God for a specific time. And he says... After fellowship, he says, Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He addresses an issue of the mind that was a thought that nobody wanted to talk about. Nobody was, was piping up and saying, I really feel this way. But Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, surfaces it anyway. And that's what the Spirit of God does through his letter. Is, is Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. When the Spirit of God moves, it, he touches the innermost thought in our mind. And Paul, God's using him through these people, and he says, you know, you're wondering if there's any encouragement from, from even being in Christ. You wonder if there's any ever any comfort in this love, and you wonder where the fellowship is. He says, now, here it is. He changes tune a little bit. He says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Question mark. Now, this is where the Lord has given me the thought that Paul showed one of the greatest examples of transposing in verse 1 or 2 of Philippians chapter 2 that we find in the whole Word of God apart from Jesus Christ on the cross. 
Because here's, here's a man that's leading a group of people, have, have been leading them for some time, and some from a distance through letters, some personally that had come in and had been meeting and counseling with him. And, and he's, he's hearing reports. There's, there's things that's going on outside of the church house that don't make much sense to some of the people that's bringing these uh, questions and these, these things to him. One of the things that was going on is they're bringing these, these questions to Paul about why that there's so many people out there preaching the gospel, but but you can but you can tell that there's that there's something that's missing inside of them. Like they were doing it to further his chain. If you read on down, even though they they didn't have a motive to elevate Christ, they they didn't have a their motive wanting to see the souls converted. They were doing it to further a place of aggravation with the government to, to further his chain to, to, to deepen their, their thought process and their hate for Christianity. And, and they, they were doing this just all over. It must have been so wide, widely spread. And, and they come into Paul and they're like, you know, Paul, God, God used him to help build the church from the foundation. He's, he's teaching them what church even is. They didn't know anything about church before Paul started teaching them. Jesus didn't teach them. He, he, showed them. he showed them some examples in the Scripture. But Paul and Peter, one of the two greatest figures in the Word of God, that helped orchestrate the move of God for the church to come together. He set the boundaries. They've done all of these things. And, and they're teaching them of how to walk this Christian life out. And here, he's got reports of people taking the message... And out there twisting it a hundred different ways and to hurt him. And he said, I couldn't imagine what was going on in his mind. There were a lot of other things going on in, in this church, and not only in the church, but in this community that was kind of like what we see today. It's just a different place and time. There's sin, there's immorality, there's drunkenness, sexual immorality, there's corruption in the government, there's all types of things going on. And he says, now... I know all these things. I'm asking you some questions. And I'm going to end the question now with, Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then he goes into verse 2. And he says, You're doing all of these things for one purpose, right? He doesn't give, he doesn't give an, an opportunity for him to say anything else. He just goes ahead and tells him, Look, all of it is for one reason then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Jesus. Paul's thought process in this moment was not about making him happy. Even though we can read it that way, and if we're not careful, we'll miss the whole point. Because Paul's whole life was about making the Father happy. Everything that he done was about satisfying and pleasing his daddy. But see, they're not seeing Jesus. They're seeing Paul. So Paul tells them, he says, look, if you want to make me happy, you want to make the Father happy. They're seeing the Father through Paul. He says, then agree wholeheartedly with one another. Love one another 
and work together with one mind and one purpose. Paul was able to bring himself to a place in his spirit where all of these things were going on around him. People, there's reports of people that's actually trying to, to, to hurt him more, to further his time in the penitentiary, to, to further his chain. And he transposes to a group of people. See, this is what was so interesting about this that I noticed. Paul, Paul didn't continue to beat them. Paul, Paul didn't take his infinite knowledge of the Word and what he knowed about the Scripture and drive the point home like hitting a nail of, well, this is in your heart. Well, here's where it comes from. And this, and bam, and bam, and, and just continue to drive them deeper and deeper into their place of affliction. No, he was a, even though some of the things that were probably going on in his mind were gospel truth, even though there's probably some things that he wanted to say, he didn't say. Why? Because Paul was a man that could change his tone on an instant. Paul was a man that was playing an instrument which is his heart for the Lord amongst a group of people that were playing their instrument to the best they knew how in discipleship, their teaching, their ideas and thoughts about the Lord and how to be able to walk this life out, how to be able to bring Christians together and all of these things. And even though Paul had, Paul had more knowledge than what they did, he'd been seeking the Lord with great intensity. God had sought him out. Even though it seemed like that we weren't on the same page, Paul seen past that to the bigger picture of the cross. And he meets them on their level. So he gives them just a little bit. He says, look, and verse 1 is it. He gives, them, he gives them three things that they're dealing with. Encouragement, love, and relationship. And he says, now, here's the answer to all of it. I know these things are going on. But, folks, church, let's look at it this way. Even though I'm passionate and I want to just bite your head off right now because how you're even talking and how you're thinking and how you're representing the cross is sickening. But here we go. I'm going to hit my button because you're not playing the instrument that can change right now. But there's purpose behind it all. Now I'm going to go down a notch so I can match your tune. And he meets them on their level, and he says, well, if you will make me happy, you will make the Father happy, then, then here we go. Let's start loving people. Let's stop pointing out all of the, of the faults and the despair that's going on around us, and let's start loving people. Um, and how we do that, he says, is with each other. We're going to wholeheartedly start agreeing with each other for this purpose, he says. And, and then we love one another. He doesn't say, now we go out the byways and highways and we start loving other people. He's addressing, he's addressing it here in the home. He says, now, with each other, love one another. And then, now comes your, your, your action. Now, now, now comes the fruit. Now, now comes everything that you're wanting to see because we work to produce something, right? He says, and then you work together with one mind and one purpose. Jesus. 
<laughs> when God gave that to me Monday, it's like a bolt of lightning hit me in the sanctuary up here on this platform. And he's like, Jeremiah, you've got a great ability to transpose in areas that you're used to transposing in because it just comes naturally to you. But there's some areas I'm calling you to change your tune a little bit to match some of those around you that wants to serve me too. That's, that's serving the Lord. That's not, not changing my tune to unrighteousness around me. Not going against the Word of God and His standard, because then I'd be going against Romans uh, six or sorry, Romans six thirteen. He says, "I." But here's here's what here's what I need you to do. You need this. You need to change to match the tune of those that's trying to follow the Lord to the best of their ability, because they might not have the opportunity, or they don't have inside of them yet, maybe some, to transpose. So you do. You're playing the instrument that has the capability to change for them and for everybody around you. He says, are you able to be that man? And I know specific areas that the Lord was revealing to me that He's been dealing with, with me on of being able to, to perform that. I want, I want to take you to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to, we're going to look now at a trans, the transpose of Jesus. And what better scripture to be able to pick for transpose? You're, you're changing, causing two or more things to come together. Right? Then the Mount Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. <laughs> Found something in this scripture that the other Gospels and accounts don't mention about Mount Transfiguration. Uh, and <clears throat> it wasn't until I read this in Luke and God pointed this out to me of an area where Jesus showed a transpose that He changed His tone in the midst of one of the greatest moments of affliction besides the garden, leading up to the crucifixion on the cross, that we find of the life of Jesus in the Scripture. And here's what happened. I'll just explain it to you here for a few minutes. We'll, we'll read this through, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read through verse uh, 35. Uh, the NLT says, About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. Right before this, Jesus is teaching. He's, he's teaching them all about the kingdom to come. He's, he's telling them that He's about to die, that He's going to be rose again. And they're, they're trying to wrap their mind around a bunch of things that they hadn't ever heard before. And they don't understand it yet, but He's the one that is about to go through all of these horrific events. He's the one that he knows he's about to be ridiculed, have his beard pulled out, be whipped with a, with a cat of nine tails until all the flesh is going off his back to be nailed onto a cross. He's the one that's getting ready to go through all this. And these are the closest men. He brings three men that's closest to him, and he, and he takes them up on this mount to pray. And it says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes become dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. 
They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about His exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. I'd underline that if I were you, because it's the only place in the Scripture where you find the true account of what really happened. They fell asleep while Jesus was praying. They didn't even see the transformation. They, they weren't witnessing what was happening to Jesus as He was praying to the Father before Moses and Elijah even showed up on the scene. But then He says, when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory in the two men standing with Him. And as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. And terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. I'll give this to you the best way that I, that I, I pray the Holy Spirit would help me explain this passage so we bring the depth of what's happening here out for our life. But here is an example of what you see all over the world. Jesus... The Son of God was going through one of the greatest agonies that a human mind or heart could suffer. He's, he's getting ready to set the stage for forgiveness of sin for man, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon the earth. Right? He's got three disciples that have the same... He, he's got three men that's dedicated to Him. He's got three men that's that's purposed in, in what that they are, are doing, that they believe in Him. They're, 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 trying to, they're trying to follow Him the best that they know how. But there's some things that they didn't understand. Even though they was being told, they couldn't comprehend the magnitude of the things that was about to happen. So their best friend was about to die one of the worst deaths that could be afflicted on human life, and they didn't even know it. He's been telling them, they're about, to, they're about to nail me to a tree. And his best friends, those that's closest to him, even though they're going the same and they're walking the same path, they can't see as far as what he's able to see. Even though they've been told, they can't comprehend it because they're playing with a different instrument. See? They're playing a beautiful sound, but they can't see the distance. So Jesus, He's in this agony, and He said, You know what? I'm bringing my friends with me. We're all going together. But here, I'm going to show you one of the greatest examples in the Word of God of how you go through affliction, of how you go through the greatest hell that you will ever experience. And it's on your knees in prayer. Jesus hits His knees. He's pouring out His heart to the Father in human flesh. He's God but he was 100% human at the same... 100% God, 100% human, and here he is. He's battling the flesh, he's praying. And they come down and they're encouraging the Lord Jesus and they're getting ready to tell him about his exodus. And here he's looking at... You know, and they're asleep. They're missing the whole thing. Oh. 
because he could see further, right? because, because Jesus knew a little further of things that were about to happen, Jesus was able to stay awake long enough to be able to go to distance to seek the heart intently enough for his countenance to change here on this earth. His flesh changed. His, there was a glow that come from him. But the people closest to him and around him missed it. Right? Because they weren't in that place of intensity. So when he gets, when, when all of this is coming to an end, the move of God has already happened. Here's what you need to know. The move of God happened. They was asleep because they missed it. Because they, they, had, they had fallen into this trance and because they weren't in the same intensity as the man before them, they missed the whole thing. But they caught just a glimmer of a move of God. So when they woke up out of their trance and they seen this glorious happening, you know, sometimes you see this happen with revivals. You see it happen when men of God, purposed by God, has been on their knees and there's been a transfiguration that's happened in the community. You've got a whole group of people that wake up suddenly and they're in the midst of the act aftermath. It's already gone. They've already missed it. And they're like, let me build a tabernacle. They, they wake up. Let me build a church here. Let me, let, me, let me make this move here. Here, Let's fill a coliseum and a stadium off what just happened. I don't know what else to say. I'm in a place that just, uh, my mind's just blown because of what I've just seen. I just, and, and that's what we do. And we have erected ministries all over the world off the anointing of another man that spent the time in prayer to be transformed. And we had nothing else to do. We had known anything else to do besides what they had just said and then here the father overshadows Jesus didn't have to do it the father comes out in the midst and he speaks to him wake up don't build a house don't you dare build a house around my presence and contain it to this place because you can't see far enough. Here's what you need to do. Listen to him. Listen to my son. Jesus, when he comes out of this place where he's meeting with the Father, he's had this miraculous experience, you know, he's, he's in this place. And then he gets met by one of the off-the-wall, just crazy, ridiculous ideas. It's absolutely foolish by some of the people that's closest to him. You would think, because he, he knows what he's getting ready to do for them and their families and everyone else around them. And, you know, if it was me, I probably would have bit their heads off. Do you not know it? What? Build a house. What? That's the moose already. Where were you? Where, where were you being transformed and, and figured? You know, that's where our flesh would want to go. Because they, they don't, you've been telling them things, but they're just not listening. You've been telling them that what's about to happen, but they just can't get it. So when, when things start happening or they do see a little a move or something happens because of a group of people that's met together with an anointing, then when they see that, they come in on the coattails and they want to erect another temple. Or they want to build some type of monument to worship the move. 
Jesus, he, he could change his tone. Like, like Paul, instantaneously, Jesus went down a notch or two in the midst of all of His glory. And He just loves them. He takes them. Oh, He says, they're, they're, they're saying these things and the Father speaks to them. Jesus' next event happens is they're down ministering to a demon-possessed boy. Jesus don't even have to go into the details of, of any of it. Oh, he just he comes down and, and he changes, he, he hits the transpose button in his mind, basically, and he realizes they're not playing the same instrument. But I love these people. I know their heart. I know they want to go the distance. I'm speaking to a group of people that's believers today. To be able to transpose to those around us and other Christians to be like-minded for one purpose. You know? And then Jesus gave us the greatest example of all time when He was on the cross. He's being nailed to a cross. Blood flying everywhere. Bleeding all over the place half dead, and the very ones putting the spikes in his hands, what's he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They can't see past this. They can't see far enough. I can see. They can't. Because they can't, I can love them because they can't see. So in my love, supernaturally their eyes become opened in another way, and it's, it's a foreign concept. We think we've got to force the eye open. We think if we had enough theology and we beat people enough with the Scripture and, and, we just, and we're hard enough in our face and our countenance and our tone and we're unbendable and like the things that's going on in, in government and the things that we see happen around our society, we take a hard stand. We're going we're gonna to blast it from the pulpit individual things, instead of bringing the whole context of sin, we, 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 we classify it down into a few things. Homosexuality, usually drunkenness, uh, infidelity, things like that. But we don't hit any of the other points in the Scripture of what God says it means to be a liar, a backbiter, and all of these things. It's just as wicked and just as guilty and will send you to hell just as fast as any of the others. But we isolate it. But see... And we do that sometimes because we're, we're not able to transpose. Hey, we're, we're, we're not able to transpose for the sake of Him being glorified. Because we're used to playing the same tune for so long. It sounds right to us. It sounds like it's what it's supposed to be. But when there's other people that's on the stage with you of life that's playing their instrument the best that they know how. And when you come together, you're not sounding in harmony. Somebody has to have enough humility inside of them and enough Jesus inside of them to come down a notch to meet them where they are, to fulfill the Great Commission, to accomplish the work of spreading the gospel 
in the kingdom, in the community, amongst each other, and then to the world. And as I've been thinking about this week, this is what I've, I've put down for this message. Says, we must first come into tune together. Not all of us play the same sound, but when we are tuned to Jesus, we blend perfectly for His glory. It's about Him. And I hope that touches somebody's heart this morning as much as what it has touched mine. Because I am guilty more than anybody in this building or it may ever listen to this message of being unable to change my tone. Because see, I think, no, I'm not called to change. I, I'm, I'm not called to, to compromise, or so to speak, or we may look at it, if we're not careful, we can look at it in, in a certain way. I'm not, you're absolutely right. You're not called to compromise. You're not called to compromise your faith. You're not called to compromise the Bible. But you are called to love. And if they cannot like or love you, how will they ever want Jesus in you? They won't. You will not find them coming in the door. So how can we change our tune as a body to meet those in need? How do we set the boundary? How do we keep the boundary? Right? But do it in such a way that draws people or that can open up their eyes so they will listen to us long enough in order for the Word of God to wash over them to purify their soul. And he says, this isn't how you do it. Inside this church building, you're looking for them to come in. You've missed it. He says, don't be like James and Peter and John and be guilty of erecting a tabernacle off the meeting of an individual 120 years ago that had a meeting with God and something was happening and sit there and interact and worship it in that place until I come back. He says, no. He told them not to do it. What did he do? Father come down. He, Father just spoke to him and said, listen to him. When you see the word listen in the Bible, it's not always talk about this. What he's talking about, when, when you listen, you, you retain. It comes into your, your ear faculty. It can, but some people can't hear and can listen with their eyes. Deaf people can't hear tone, but, they, but deaf people can see action. So it's our action we imitate across. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to die for him? Some of us are willing to lay our sin down. And we're willing to die and put up a moral standard of the word, but we can't put up his love. We can set the boundary, baby, all day long. And we can play the game. But we can't imitate the very one that initiated the game. We can't. We're not capable 
of moving enough in our spirit to be able to meet certain people to project the gospel forward in our life. And we do it a lot of ways. I'm guilty of doing it in many ways. It don't take much to look around the world today and see how men have done it with, with the church, outside of the church, denominations, theologies, doctrines, all types of things that's been set up. What about the doctrine of Christ? What about His doctrine of love and compassion? What, what if, and, and we say, and I'll give you this, it, you know, the Word of God is, it is abrasive. It is abrasive in word, not in action. It is abrasive in thought, provoking, not in this. Okay. So when our abrasiveness is how our countenance is towards somebody, or how we're trying to minister the word and get our point across, if that's abrasive, we've missed it. Completely missed it. This is a call to the church to be men and women that can transpose to be transfigured to Christ. And I need Him and His Holy Spirit in my ministry to be able to adjust not, not to sin not to certain people's ideas or lifestyle, but to adjust my tune to Him. And when we are adjusted to Christ, everything else will fall into place. Because when we're in tune with the Father, Jesus, there's security there. Men and women that are insecure are men and women of rage. An insecure church is an angry church. Because when your security is built upon those around you and their acceptance, then we're tuning to the wrong tuning fork in life. He adjusts our tune to match all other tunes. So here it is. You only have to change one notch. You ain't got to worry about meeting a hundred different things. We meet Him. He blends it according to His purpose for His glory. And then you will see, and you can walk out the Scripture in uh, Zechariah 1, 16, where He says, and He's talking about a New Testament church, where He releases a line upon his people and his house will be built in it. And that line in the Hebrew come from a Hebrew word which meant the same string that you string a musical instrument. It's the sound that we send forth into the world by who we are. Jesus. And I believe that the more that we declare God's word over our life verbally, the more that we pray the more that we become like-minded, the more that we love one another, the more that we take our declaration, our purpose, our mission, and our charge, and it becomes 
part of our heart and we're reading this every day. We're, we're praying the scripture of our life every day. God will move inside of us to give us abilities that otherwise we would not, not be able to have. But because He's given us the ability to adjust. His love gives us the ability to make that fine-tune. Jesus. Some people around us that we come into contact with, they need to hear that tune because when Christ brings it to them, it's pleasing to their, to their ears. It's a pleasing sight. They want to play with you. And we play in the same song. Then it all comes together. And everybody around us can hear something beautiful coming from our heart and our life and our church. So, Father, Lord, I want to thank you for your word of encouragement today, God, Lord, of, of being able to transpose, Lord, to be able to, to be able to change place with someone else. And, and why we do that, Lord, is, is to give you glory. Because right, right after that in Philippians chapter 2, right next verse 3, very next one, you say that we're to esteem others more highly than ourselves. Jesus, that is hard to do at times, God. You know because you have walked it, Lord. But you gave us example after example, Lord, not only through your own life, but through the life of those men that were called, Lord, for a specific time and purpose, God, to be teachers, Lord, that we follow today, Lord. And as we read, Lord, their examples of how they were able to, to meet people where they're at, Lord, of how that they were able to blend in the society, that they were able to operate in the society but not be part of it, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that that anointing fall over top of each and every man and woman, Lord, in this place today, Lord. Anyone listening that may live or listen to this message, Lord, in the future, that your anointing would fall on top of their life, God, or on top of our ministries, God, Lord, that we would be, be catapulted, Lord, to new levels, Lord, of compassion, of love, of unity, Lord, of fellowship, Lord. Lord, and that, that would be the sound that we are known by. Lord, that when we're gone, God, that when you take us from this earth, if you tarry long enough, Lord, that there would be a huge hole in this community because we're missing, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, Lord, that we would have impact, that you would give us influence, Lord. Give us insight, God, Lord, and just lead and guide us according, Lord, to your purpose and plan. Lord, give us a humble heart, God. Lord, we pray for humility, God, Lord, to fall into this place, Lord. Jesus, melt our hearts, Lord. Melt our minds, God. Help us, Lord, as we want to go up onto that mount, Lord, and to pray and to have our face changed, Lord. Jesus, may we not be found sleeping. Jesus, Lord, in these last days. Lord, may we be men and women that's fully awake, that's, that's alive. Lord, that's, that's moving. Lord, that's, that's part of your move, Lord, that we're not riding in on the coattails of others, Lord, but we're meeting you personally for our place, God, and we're being transformed in our place, God, and we're not having to set up tabernacles, Lord, to worship what once was, God, but we're experiencing, Lord, that what's about to be, Lord, and that you would send, Lord, people from this place, Lord. Lord, we're not worried about bringing them in. We're worried about sending them out, Lord. So, Lord, we pray to be sent, God, Lord, 
We, we pray that you would open up those channels, Lord, and those avenues and what, what things that you have given us, Lord. May we be faithful stewards over it, God, Lord. We pray for the tent meeting coming up, Lord, in Corden, Lord, and with Brother Rick O'Daniels, God, and their, their mission there in Corden, God, Lord, where you just be in that meeting, Lord, the end of this month, Lord. Just put your hand upon it in those ministers, Lord, in a powerful way, Lord. And I pray for ours here in Pool, Lord, uh, November 2nd through the 5th, God, Lord, that you would just start opening up doors, Lord, that you would start start moving now, Lord, up and down the streets, Lord, of 41A, Lord, and all these little side streets, God, Lord. May we be able to get the word out, God. Lord, may they be able to see something happening uh, here on 41A in this little place, God. Lord, it sets it apart, Lord. Lord, it draws them to, to something that they've never seen before, the church coming together, Lord, and brothers and sisters in Christ fellowshipping and, and worshiping God, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit fall in that place, and may there be healing, God, Lord, not only mentally, physically, spiritually, God, Lord, and, and the restoration, Lord, back to you, God, Lord. And we just we pray to be a small part of that, Lord, and just help us, Lord, to, to remain humble, Lord, and, and, to, and to keep a, a humble spirit, Lord, through all this process amongst one another, Lord, that we would esteem each other better than ourselves, Lord. Lord, that we would we would prop others up, Lord, when, when they're down and not, not have to be so much worried about being propped up, Lord. Help us to be the prop, God. So, Lord, I just, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you you're compassionate enough, Lord, that you love us enough, Lord, not to just let us go and then just continue on, on paths, Lord, of destruction, Lord, but your Holy Spirit is faithful, Lord to minister to our specific needs. Lord, you speak to our heart, God. I don't speak to it. You speak to it, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that your will, Lord, will be performed, Lord, in this service, God. And Lord, through this word, Lord, may it sink deep into our hearts, God. May it transform us, God, to a deeper image of who that you desire for us to be, Lord. And we thank you we thank you, Lord, that, that you don't beat us. You don't whip us with a nail-studded club, Lord, when, when, when we hadn't hit the mark. Jesus, thank you for just extending your hand. And we honor you and we praise you and we want you to be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to 